Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Is there anybody out there? All right, that's as much thing as you're going to get to hear from me. Thank you. If you're still waiting around for another episode, I cannot thank you for your patience enough. Hopefully you were watching on Instagram and you saw my story or Facebook, I guess. It would be on my story. It kind of links up to, the bo- to both of them. So it would be on my First Gen Hunter page story. Uh could have seen a little update on the wiring project that was just the second floor still got all the first floor to go yet but the the second floor is just kind of waiting for inspection they got a few more fixtures to put up up there but um yeah almost done almost done with uh the second floor and almost done enough to the point where we're kind of moving in we're planning to start staying at the uh, new place here uh, at the end of this week so uh, we're getting somewhere Uh, but again I do appreciate your patience as um, you know we work through all this as you can imagine it's takes up a lot of time and the school year is coming here very soon as well so going to be real busy coming up around around the bend here so i thank you so much for sticking around and waiting for these episodes to come out hopefully you've been rewarded for your wait though um our last episode the interview with zach pulaski most successful episode on the podcast yet so yeah if any of his buddies are listening to this do a little uh uh you know like chest beating or something like that a little pat on the back that thing uh blew up a lot of people listened to it got a lot of great feedback on it so uh i hope uh hopefully even though these episodes are a little bit longer in between um hopefully you're you're um enjoying them and this one is no different this one i had so much fun editing just because uh, our guest nick otto is just straight up hilarious he's 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 got a great sense of humor he's a ton of fun to talk to just a really entertaining guy he's the kind of guy i think maybe i'm kind of like typecasting here or something or, or stereotyping whatever the term is but i think nick would be the guy that if you went to one of those like awkward spouse work party thing you know so you don't even know any of these people and your spouse doesn't know them outside of work and uh you know if you were you're just stuck in the awkward tension sorry you guys are probably just like cringing right now but nick would be the guy that everyone would kind of gravitate to and uh would enjoy his company because he would be entertaining the place that's just that's just the kind of guy that i think he is Okay, I only talked to him for you know a couple hours on Skype to get this interview. So, but no, he's a really cool guy, super talented guy. Uh, when you start following him on Instagram, hopefully you will, you will see all the amazing things that Nick makes. Plus, you get to hear him interviewed all over the place. He's a popular guy. A lot of people like to talk to Nick, and it is, and you will see why when you listen into this. Just a wealth of information, and. Um, 
it really puts puts his money where his mouth is when it comes to everything he does with Huntivore and uh, the incredible recipes that it comes up with and isn't afraid to try and uh, goes way outside the box on some things to really deliver um, you know information that helps people take those big risks to find big rewards when it comes to uh, preparing wild game and so uh, I think you guys are going to really enjoy talking to him. of course we uh, get into the weeds and a few other topics like I like to do and uh, we we uh, you know go down a few different rabbit trails but sometimes I find those rabbit trails to be the most interesting things in these episodes so uh, I hope you guys really enjoy that part of it um, I'm not going to run any commercials or tip of the day in this one uh, just because again all the busyness with getting the, the house ready to move into but I do want to say this. I, I want to talk to those the partners that I have, or not talk to them, talk for them, <laughs> do kind of an advertisement for them. First of all, my good buddy, Alex Gruen, make sure you go and talk to him. It is in my plans here over the next week or so to record a new ad for that. Then I'll explain some stuff that I have coming up with Alex, but there is not a guy who will take care of you better i mean he's he's sending me workouts to get ready for a hunt that we're going to do together soon he's given he's looking for gear for me not just like gear on oh i went to you know this huntinggearbrand.com and i found you this full price thing no, no 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 he's like checking forums and you know like used gear pages on social media and, and all sorts of things he goes above and beyond so if you're the kind of person who likes to be taken care of get that nice little you know like local business people who care about you type feeling then you need to go to alexgruen.com and just go with it um, alex has told me that there's been uh you know some people that have come from this podcast and have have been like right on the edge of hiring Alex but haven't quite pulled the trigger yet just just take the leap okay you'll be glad you did he will take care of you he will help you get going on those dream hunts remember a lot of this stuff it takes several years of applying in order to build up enough points to get into those really high success rate or trophy caliber units and alex knows all of that stuff and he doesn't even really have to look it up he just knows it because he's like you know a nerd for this stuff he, he looks it up all the time sorry alex but it's true and uh so you need to talk to alex so go to alexgruen.com then as you're gearing up and i'm not talking just for your hunt um i actually bought a bunch of my work clothes for my new job gotta look all spiffy when i show up you know kind of kind of set the tone that i'm not a slob yet you know i get i get in these cycles where i like buy all these new clothes and then i'm like oh yeah i'm good for like three years i know i need to i need to sharpen up the image a little bit but anyways i'm trying going to the new job trying to look good i went over to black ovis found some awesome looking uh pants for work some good uh, what do they call that? Uh, what's it? Business casual, business casual pants for work, and um, uh, did all that at Black Ovis. Uh, also, if you are looking for some great hunting gear at a really discounted price, head over to Camo Fire if you're a first gen hunter like myself, like 
Nick on this interview, a place like Camo Fire can really help you out. So make sure you head over there, okay? And uh, the last thing I would like you to do is if you have not yet gone and left a review on iTunes, I know it's so annoying. You hear people ask for these all the time, but here's why. We, we, we produce this content and uh, we want people to hear it, right? And the more positive reviews that a show gets, the more it gets sorted, you know, like suggested to people to listen to. And so uh, if you can just uh, take a few seconds to scroll down and uh, uh, hopefully tap the old five star, uh, hopefully we're doing that well for you. Uh, That really helps me out and uh, helps more people learn how to hunt. And hopefully that gives us a better hunting community. All right, without any more blabbering from me, Let's go ahead and roll into it. Episode number 63 on the First Gen Hunter podcast, an interview with Mr. Nick Otto. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. A high school friend of mine once made this statement. I don't understand how people can starve to death out in the wild why don't they just like go up to a an oak tree or something and start peeling off pieces of bark and eating it so that they stay alive well to a fellow high school age student this logic did seem you know to be fairly sound i gotta admit i kind of had the same question before why can't we just go eat grass like a deer or or uh maybe you know like in uh the first ice age movie where he starts chewing on pine cones or something you know why why can't if these things can be food sources for other critters out there why can't they be that way for us well i went on to become a biology teacher and i now understand that our digestive system is nowhere near set up to digest bark off of an oak tree or pine cones or all sorts of other inedible things that can be found in nature. But not only did I become a biology teacher, I became a hunter as well. And I did learn about all these other wonderful things that we can treat as food sources that are found in the very same woods as the oak tree, pine cones, and everything else. And so uh, that has become, to me, the best part of hunting well besides the whole adventure part that's 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 really awesome too but uh the the food side of it has become fantastic and uh i thoroughly enjoy uh trying new things bringing home something to my wife to try letting my friends and other family members try something and uh what's awesome to see from now being on this side of hunting where I've got several years of hunting, I guess six or seven years of hunting now under my belt, is I've seen hunting kind of progress to become more of that for most other people getting into this wonderful activity that we thoroughly enjoy, celebration of the food. And there is a guy out there who has built his own channel to fully embrace, celebrate, but my favorite part of this, teach others how to do that as well. And that is Mr. Nick Otto of the Huntivore podcast. Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing some of your knowledge with us this evening. Well, thank you, Kent. It's an honor to be on here. Um, I'm raising a glass up to you. Um, 
for a couple reasons. Number one, just to say, hey, thanks uh, for uh, for having me on. But then second, happy Father's Day. I know we just went through uh, Father's Day, oh, this past weekend. And uh, yeah, I've got three of my own. And I know you. And I understand that one is on the way. Maybe this is an exclusive I'm dropping on your own show. <laughs> no, that's okay, man. I've, I've uh, slowly been, been leaking that information to, uh, to uh, friends and family. And, and uh, it's, it's pretty well known now that, that we got another one on the way. And uh, thank you uh, to you as well for, for uh, being a, a good voice in the industry, but also a happy Father's Day. And I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to say that in the last episode that I recorded. And, uh, it, you know, I, of course, forgot to say it in the episode that was going into the weekend <laughs> of Father's Day. So I'm glad we're I'm glad we're hitting that here. And, uh, you know, one of the things about Father's Day that uh, is important, and I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I don't know, uh, push out the girls here because I think there's a lot of moms out there who've done a tremendous job introducing their, their kids to the outdoors. But, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's that fatherly figure or that grandfatherly figure who uh, takes them in under their wing, maybe buys them their first uh, Red Rider BB gun and, uh, you know, then uh, gets them in a deer stand or a turkey blind and the rest is history. And so, uh, yeah, I think uh, fatherhood is incredibly important. I think a lot of the problems that we uh, see that are making our world burn right now in a lot of ways uh, probably trace back to the need of of uh, some better parenting on both sides, but definitely uh, uh, being grounded with uh, good dads. So, absolutely, man. Happy Father's Day. And uh, let's start talking some hunting. Does that sound good? Oh, you betcha, man. I know it's summertime, but that's, again, that's just going through my head on the, this upcoming seasons, even like what's what's in season right now. Um, just haven't had a chance to get in the lakes. Um, we got tons of lakes here in Michigan and like the bluegill are just going to go, they're going crazy right now. Mm. And I just haven't got the boys out there, you know, yep. to have all three of their rods working. And just all I have to do is unhook the fish and throw on a new worm. That's, <laughs> that's usually our day, which yep. I'm okay with it. If they keep flinging the fish in, let's keep it going. That's right. That's right. No, that's uh that, that is a fantastic time of the year. You know, that's kind of narrow window. And, you know, I think a lot of outdoorsmen, you know, can generally be fit into two get two categories. A primarily a fisherman who will hunt when he has the time, or B primarily a hunter who will fish when they're <laughs> when uh, you can't be checking trail cameras or working on stands or or actually hunting. So <laughs> it's uh it's nice to be able to squeeze some of the some of the fishing into uh, this time of year and. You know, if I wasn't going through this huge move right now, I would definitely be out uh, doing a whole lot more uh, Iowa trout fishing. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do, but we're uh, hey, better than, you know, fall, you know, make your move now and uh, you'll be set and ready to go. That's by true. Fall around. That's true. I could be doing this during deer season and really be hating myself. So that is, that is a, that is a good way to look at the glass half full right there. So, uh, but you know, I, I did want to bring this up. So in, in following you now on Instagram, I don't know, I think I've been following you for a while now and I always enjoy the content you put up. And then when I went back through and was, you know, doing a little research going into this interview Man, I kept seeing picture after picture or like reading a uh, episode description or title 
And I gotta say it, man, I got hungry while I was uh while I was uh doing my research for this interview. <laughs> there's some there's some good looking content on your Instagram. <laughs> well, good. That's the whole stem behind it is to get somebody to see something, see the image, and be like, dude. I now have to do this. I have to go to my own freezer. I got to pull something out. I got to try something new or like, you know, I'll take those couple tips and see if I can't up my game from there. Because as much as my channel uh, with the Hunt of Orb podcast is all about educating others, I got to say it's also a very selfish endeavor that <laughs> I get a chance to go talk to people and probe questions on how how do they do it and how can I make my game better. So it is twofold at that point, but I'm glad to know that it's working. Hey, I agree with you, man. That's uh, That's been the best part of um doing this show you know is uh just getting to hear all these different voices learn so much from uh just talking to people who are experts at what they do and so um i agree with you man it's it's been it's been kind of a selfish endeavor in that sense too <laughs> for me so that's yeah likewise well you know you went with the name huntivore specifically you didn't go with fishivore you didn't go with uh, gather of ore. You went with hunt of ore. So I think that that, and honestly, I could say you you, you didn't go with carnivore. <laughs> you <laughs> went with you went with the specific intention in your name that hey, I am somebody who prefers to hunt, and I want to know how that came to be. How did you? get into hunting? Was it something you kind of had to claw your way into yourself like a lot of other first-gen hunters out there? Or were you, um, uh, you know, in the position where you could learn from a, you know, an older figure, whether it's your dad or a, or an uncle or a grandfather or, or your mom or, or, or older sibling or something like that? How did you get into hunting yourself? That's a great question. Um, because being on this show, you know, being first gen hunter, I fall right into that category mm. that I myself am a first generation hunter. Love it, and man. As far as I know, in my immediate family. Sure. Um, yep. My my family has been in the farming industry um for very, very long time. Um in fact, my brother and I were either I think we're sixth generation on this piece of property, sixth or seventh piece or generation on this piece of property. And wow, as of that, right now, that is cool. That's yes. really cool. It's a, uh, it's a, we're, we're a sequicentennial farm, which means we're 150 years. And I'm in fact, we're approaching 175 here. I'm not sure what they call it, uh, for 175, but anyway, we're getting pretty close to that. <laughs> a buck and a buck and three quarters. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's um, awesome, man. But it's always been, you know, farming at that point or, you know, and it's a tur specifically a poultry farm, a turkey farm. So that's always been the the mission is the livestock, the turkey mm -hmm. and processing the animal. And hunting was just at an obscure time where between in high school, I was a wrestler. So season was starting right around deer season. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, Thanksgiving was in full swing or preparations for Thanksgiving yeah. was in full swing. So getting out to the woods was something that wasn't necessarily a priority. Um, once I got into college, decided what I was going to do for my career, finally got my first job, got the house. 
I finally had that moment where it was like, you know what? This is important enough to me. I want to dive. I want to dive into hunting. Um, I want to, and it was really at that point, food motivated. I wanted to bring the best that I could to my table. And my friends had all been hunters. I wasn't foreign to the idea, but it was one of those things that I just came late to the game and kind of had to like bite claw and scratch every piece of information, every Mm -hmm. little crazy idea and Mm -hmm. go through all those learning pains that they did, but in a very accelerated amount of time. Um, but through that, I think I've kind of gotten myself to be an accomplished, accomplished hunter. Um, I've been able to harvest an animal, uh, consecutively for several years now. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Being able to pick up maybe two animals in a year, uh, is just one of those like, you know, like, yes, we're loading up the freezer. Yeah. It'll be good. And to kind of kick pride aside, here in Michigan, when it gets really cold and you see a deer get dumped alongside the road, you know, you just gotta you gotta pull up your big boy pants, get out alongside the highway there and pick up what's left of uh some deer. <laughs> and that's I tell you, that's how I get a lot of experimentation with with my recipes. You know, I don't want the good back straps to get uh that's to right. get used in this experimental way. I'm gonna use, you know, the one that was along along M thirty seven there, and that's gonna be the one that I'm gonna I'm gonna use. Hey, hey, you got to own it, man. When you do something like that, that people would turn up their nose at, you just got to own it. That's, uh, I, I, I have no, uh, no judgment coming from me. I've thought of it many times. I have a, I have a cousin who's from, uh, Wisconsin and he said, you'll oftentimes drive around and see a deer laying on the side of the road, missing their back strap. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I don't think you're the only one out there who uh, looks at that as a, uh, food opportunity. And, and I like how you said that a great chance to experiment a little bit. That's a great way to look at it. So yeah, that's, that's awesome though, man. Uh, My hat's off to you as a fellow first gener and, and i think you described it so well there you know when you hit those milestones it it just makes it feel so good to know that you're getting somewhere and yes. um you know if someone's listening to this right now and they're a first gen hunter and uh maybe you've uh, gotten a little taste of that success maybe you have uh you know uh maybe you bagged a squirrel or something like that you know it might you 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 felt pretty special in that moment and then you may have gone inside your friend's house and noticed the you know giant 165 inch buck they had on their wall and instantly uh, felt like uh, nobody again <laughs> don't worry about it don't worry about what everybody else is doing each of those exactly. each of those moments those milestone moments is critically important and uh someday you'll be you'll be at that point where you're hanging big deer on your wall if you stay at stay at it and uh you'll be looking back at those moments of those small those small milestone moments of clawing your way in as a first gen hunter as some of the most special moments in all your years of hunting. I know that's, that's already been the case for me when I look back at some of those earliest days. So (laughs) it's, it's, it's going to get better if you keep doing the right things. And, um, I think you, uh, you really, uh, sum that up perfectly there, uh, with, uh, how you talked about your own progression, Nick. So, uh, thanks for, for sharing that. I think that's important for other, other first geners to hear good so my favorite first gen uh i would say experience would be the total after the shot amnesia i don't know if you've experienced that where (laughs) i literally made the shot and finally like i thought i like thought i watched everything and my Mm -hmm. i called my buddy and i'm like dude i put a shot on an animal i think i hit him and he's like well where'd you hit him "Uh, i don't know (laughs) and then well okay 
I'm going to be there in a minute. Like, you know, I'll be there. And so then, he, you know, he comes walking up and I'm, I'm sitting there at the base of the tree and he's like, all right, which way did he go? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, how far was he? Mm, again, uh, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember just the blank stare back at me of like, yes. well, what do you know? I'm like, an animal walked through here and I sent an arrow at him. That's, that's what we got. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right, man. You, you, uh, everything dumps into that one moment you know all the all the practice sessions in the yard all the uh the uh time sighting in all the uh trail camera work and learning how to use your tree stand it all just boils down to that that release or that trigger squeeze and uh you're right kind of black out for a second but um you know what i think i i still have that problem You know what I mean? It just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, get past that moment, I think too. So it's, but that's what makes it fun, right? We, when you can't, when when we can start predicting our success, then, then uh, we probably, we probably uh, need to uh, change things up to liven it up a little bit again. So I think that sounds good. Yeah, you're right. That's a good thing too. So all right. Well, you know, you came into it as a first gen hunter. I think it's really interesting, though, that you were working in the the food industry in a sense already. Um, you know, growing up on a farm that probably was more by command than it was by uh, whether you felt like it or not. Uh, but uh, you're you're in the food industry now. Did that play into you? You know, kind of developing into uh, what most people would would qualify as a foodie or did that come later when you got sick of uh eating um you know ramen noodles in college or uh taco bell cheesy roll-ups uh as a bat as a bachelor just out of college or something like that how did how did you uh decide to uh really pour your your life into uh pursuing better food um my mom was a great cook and at her disposal, she had umpteen million recipes for mm. for using turkey. And so just using that in different aspects, always trying to just keep it fresh. I, I still have uh, recipes that she makes that I just, they're my absolute go-tos. It's like, that's my comfort food. Mm. Um, but at the same time, she was always either you know making us breakfast or, um, in fact, my, my football team, on Fridays was they were going to the TK kitchen, which is a, a restaurant in town. Mm-hmm. And we had a couple, but a couple guys that didn't have jobs, you know, they, they didn't have money. So we were always like paying their way to do that. Well, then they just kind of stopped coming. And I had mentioned that to my mom and she said, you know what, start having the guys come, uh, Friday mornings, start having them. Wow. You know, if it's game day. Come, come to our house. And so she would just cook this mess of eggs and mess of turkey. Um, we would, you know, we've got a honey smoked turkey lunch meat, and she would end up searing both sides of that, shredding it, and then throwing eggs and mis- mixing it up. Basically, just you know, throwing eggs at the guys. Mm-hmm. But it was amazing that how that had an impact. They were like. It was a big impact that my my buddies still have. They're like, dude, remember when we'd go over to your house and we'd have bacon and eggs or we'd have <laughs> turkey and eggs? Man, I just loved that. And that was kind of like a big thing is that our kitchen was the hub of our household. Yeah, I love that. And so growing up, like that was just something that the kitchen wanted to be a hub of, of my household as well. Um, I 
I'd always loved the idea of food. And then, yeah, you get on the meal ticket at college. You got to put on the extra <laughs> 15 to 20 pounds. <laughs> but right. at the same time, like I started to, to get out of that. We got an apartment and then it was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go get ground turkey or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bring a couple things and we're going to do those on the grill instead. And so that was always something that I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just eating PB and J that I wasn't just cooking ramen. Cause that I'd rather skip the ramen meal if that, if I'm allotted three and then just go heavy on the evening meal at that point, like, you know, let's grill something out. I'm going to put two steaks on there. I'm going to put two tenderloins out there. Like this is, this is something that I want to make sure I make a precedent. Um, and so then, you know, finding my wife and then getting our first home and really feeling like, all right, we're, we're starting this. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that I was putting the best foot forward, uh, what was going on to our table. And so I had access being in our small little town. We're in this teeny tiny town in, in, uh, Michigan mm-hmm. where I got, I got a slaughter facility, uh, that I can buy either whole beef or whole hog or half, you know, quarters or whatever I wanted to. It's just a phone call away right. or, or even the idea that I, I've got Turkey at my disposal right away. Like I was just expounding upon the protein options that I had. And that's where hunting really kind of came in, I would say, a little later when I've had the option to expand that and wanted to try that out. I, you know, I, people talk about hunting. They talk about it's a great adventure. Awesome. What's the return on that? Like, I hear mm-hmm. venison's really good, but at the same time, the few times that I've had it, like, hey, you know what? I think, I think it could be done a little better. Mm-hmm. So getting my hands on on my own animal and going through that whole experience of bringing down not a, not a two legged creature, you know, taking an animal's life isn't the, you know, I've already done that with the, right, with the yeah. turkeys, but now doing it, uh, in a uncontrolled setting. I mean, it really brought like the, the primal sense. It really tapped into that primal back of my, my mind there and really got me excited. And at the same time, like the fulfillment that I had as I began to process that animal of, man, I, I have a precious gift here. This, this can't go to waste. I need to make sure that I do the due diligence to this animal, um, after being given this gift. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really cool way to, to kind of transition there. You know, I think a lot of people probably look at hunting in a way that relates to your exact situation there where they would say, well, why do you need to hunt? We have, you know, we have all of these different protein options provided to us through, uh, the ag industry. And, uh, you know, we have, we have, um, you know, pork, we have beef, we have, we have, um, poultry and, and even, uh, you know, we have fish farms and things like that and commercial fishing, you know, why do, why do you need to, uh, pursue this? But I think, I think you're tapping into something that I definitely want to get into at, at a later point in this, this interview, but it is kind of a, a primal urge for, I think some of us, you know, I think that, that one, one of the things that, that we as hunters can be, um, you know, guilty of doing sometimes is acting like, well, uh, you know, hunting is the only way to go for getting your meat, man. What are you doing? You know, eating a ham sandwich over there. And, (laughs) and, uh, the newsflash that I think 
people that that are doing that need to understand is you know we all consume more than a deer's worth of uh, of protein in a year and so uh, in one year we would uh, definitely exhaust our resources so there is room for the ag industry uh, but and, and it's, it's super it's super important and and there's when i say there's room there's room for it within ethical eating you know and making uh good choices and so i think sometimes hunters and the ag industry can kind of be at odds with each other and uh can be you know fighting against each other oh you destroy so much habitat you know that's that's a big one here and i you know i'm guilty of that from time to time you know oh you're you're destroying so much habitat and and uh you know the ag industry can be guilty of yeah we are <laughs> we're going <laughs> fence row to fence row and and uh or we're uh you know everything's uh you know all in in confinement and and things like that and, and you know that gets into a whole can of worms of course but really we need each other i think you know we we need each other there it helps it, it's good for the market to, for there to be some competition it's good for you know not that you can market wild game that's you know a violation of the lacy act <laughs> but uh but uh you, you uh you need you need other options out there for people to to uh go after it builds more appreciation for what the ag industry can provide for for uh uh, everyone else who doesn't want to hunt and uh you know it's it's uh a thing that both both areas of eating can be done uh with the right approach i think but yeah it's not for everybody but it's good to have those options that that going out and eating off the land uh can provide so I think it's I think it's important that you brought that up. Now I did have one question though when you were asking or when you were talking about uh, your football team coming over. Mm -hmm. You said you were a wrestler. Yeah. Uh, did that get kind of tough during wrestling season when you had to make weight and uh, you know uh, your mom probably was uh, wanting to try out these new recipes that she was coming up with and uh, you're over here like, Mom, I can't. I got to make weight by tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness we only had a few on-site weigh-ins, be it uh, when it came time for tournament time. Um, yeah, at least I had the day to really like spit it out, sweat it out to get that weight. <laughs> um, I, uh, man, being just a smaller guy, I didn't really bulk up for uh, football season. Uh, I did. Uh, luckily, I was I was more of a skilled guy. Um, I was like I was a utility player. Um, I would play split out. I would play halfback. I would play fullback. Usually awesome, blocking. Um, I'm I'm only five eight, so I'm more of a speed bump than anything else. So, you know, <laughs> the big guy coming out on the outside of the edge, he never saw me coming because I was about ankle high. Yeah, you were one of those guys who could take people's like, ACLs out <laughs> by just hitting them in their chest, and they had no idea you were there. Oh man. Uh, so yeah, I, there wasn't too much bulking up, but then slimming back down. That was just uh, man, that that's just one of those things you just got to be. There was a mission in front of me at that point and it just had to happen. So, you know what? I never gave up breakfast. I was still eggs and turkey. I still had probably every day at weigh in day. I'd skip that. But you know what? Forget lunch. I ain't going to worry about that. And then <laughs> you can always slim down um, during the uh, the evening meal. So, you know, breakfast was a, was a staple. If I was going to have anything, it was going to be, 
eggs and turkey in the morning. That's good. I'm glad you were still able to uh, fit in uh, what your mom could prepare for you there. That's that's good to hear. It uh, does my uh, lifetime lineman. I was a lifetime lineman. <laughs> does my lifetime lineman's heart a lot of good to know that you were still eating? I. Uh, <laughs> now that's I, not to say that I didn't have to take off the undies. You know that extra six ounces <laughs> just to make sure that I would hit that poundage. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. You know, I could, I, I always kind of thought about, thought about doing wrestling and that probably comes naturally, you know, when you're playing football, it's a similar enough sport in some ways, uh, that, that you kind of think that way. But I was, I was always a basketball player and, um, man, after watching you guys come out of the the wrestling room, it was just like, yeah, I think I made the right choice. And at the lunch table, I had that thought too. So, (laughs) but, uh, no, that's, it's, uh, it's really cool to hear your, your background in it. Like I kind of was pontificating about just a few minutes ago about how, uh, really at a young age, you were, you were kind of sorting these things out. You know, how am I going to get my food? What are my options? And, uh, it's really cool that, that, uh, you grew up on a farm. I think, uh, I think it's really important that we have people who are still tied to the land that they're using. You know, uh, I think that's, that's one of the ways that ag is, is being hurt is, you know, so many of the, the small farms that, that have the kind of history that you're talking about with your family, uh, they're, they're disappearing. You know, I once, uh, saw an article that was talking about, what percentage of my home state, Iowa, what percentage of Iowa is owned by people from different countries, not even, not even, uh, you know, a different state, mm-hmm. you know, investors from, from other countries, you know, you're talking, uh, one of the states that, that, that's name is synonymous with, with agriculture. And, um, you know, we're kind of losing, losing sight of what, what's the most precious, precious thing to us the very dirt that we uh <laughs> that we live on right and um right. i think it's i think it's really cool that your family has been able to preserve that legacy and and do it in a great way that you have so mm-hmm. sadly it's been it's in the ag world it's been you know go big or get out yeah um, yep and you, we've seen that a lot with the dairy um here that you know they got to buy into co-ops or they got to do do what they can just to struggle by. And unfortunate, I mean, that's just the unfortunate with the need that's there of how much is needed, um, be it dairy or, or whatever there that is. And just how prices can fluctuate all over the place. It's, it helps to be in a conglomerate or it helps to just be so massive that you can, uh, survive that way. Um, our circumstances is we've been able to find a niche. And so having, um, the ability to, to provide that specific one product that, that people are desiring has been our saving grace, hmm. at least on that point. But then same time you look across that the, there's those other opportunities that are there all across, whether it be, you know, small scale dairy, small scale, uh, beef production or hog farming, whether, whether it is there are, they are out there, but you are totally hit the nail on the head that, yeah, there's there's a lot of companies that are out there that are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They're getting fatter and fatter, and sometimes they're taking up more room than what they should. But it it's just it's just the nature of business, I guess, at that point. Yeah, definitely. I need to educate myself a lot more on how how uh, you know <laughs> how each tomato ends up where it ends up. 
in our country, but, but there is a, there is a lot of, a lot of great information out there that, that kind of highlights, you know, how have things gotten to this point where, you know, you had these, these small nuclear communities that, that, uh, you know, you could get pretty much everything you needed from gardens and, and, uh, farm local farmers and, and, uh, um, you know, meat producers and, and, and dairy producers and things like that. And, you know, we've, we you're right. You know, I think those were the exact words that were used back in the seventies, get big or get out. It was, uh, I think it was the secretary of agriculture back in the seventies that, that said that. And, uh, that's what, that's exactly what's happened, you know? And so, uh, hopefully we can, we can recover some of the, some of that disconnect, that's happening from our landscape. But I, and again, more, as I was saying earlier, I think that's where hunting and farming can help each other out because hunting makes you more appreciative and more aware of what's going on around you. You know, uh, you're, when you're, when you're sitting there, just taking it in, it develops you develop just a, a much deeper fondness for every little aspect of what it is. And, and it, you know, it makes you feel like if somebody tells you get big or get out, it makes you feel like telling them to get lost. <laughs> you know, yeah, Amen. I, I will Amen. enjoy it. I will enjoy it how I want to enjoy it. And, uh, um, no one's, ta- no one's taking this from me. You know, I think that's kind of the spirit that, that won us America, you know, won our independence here in America. And, and, uh, it's kind of this kind of spirit that can hopefully save some of these, uh, you know, relics from the past so man we're we're getting way down a rabbit trail here but this is good man i'm enjoying this this is good we're getting all worked up but um you know going from from how you've gotten to where you are and uh how you've uh made made the food side of hunting such a an important part not just for yourself but for everyone who who's following along that is taking you to launching a podcast. And as you said, you know, some of that could be said for, uh, a selfish intent, but, you know, I think a statement that you have on your Instagram profile that I came across while doing my, uh, my research, uh, that was making me, uh, so hungry, uh, was, uh, <laughs> no egos, no status, just pursuit of natural protein and a love for the wild creation. It really shows your attitude towards hunting, towards eating, and something that I think is a way forward uh, for hunting to stick around, <laughs> you know, and is something that, that communicates, hey, there's enough here to share. There's no reason to feel like uh, we're the king of the mountain here and the way that we do things. And uh, it's really quite simple. I want something to eat and I want to go get it this way. Um, I want to be out in the wild creation and enjoying it. So uh, does that kind of, does that statement that you put on, on, on your uh, Instagram, does that really kind of ring true for like your mission statement? Would you say for your, your podcast? Yes. In fact, that when I started this whole podcast, um, uh, Dustin, a great buddy of mine, he was co-hosting for a while. Uh, he's gotten busy. And so he had to, he had to jump ship. Sure. Um, but at the same time, like I, I would get so excited, uh, when venison was talked about on a hunting podcast, um, 
got into to listening to other podcasts and really enjoying um, the tactics of it when when they applied or when there was something that I could I could take from that. I, you know, I had to probe in there to, to figure out what it was going to be about. But then there would be an episode that had uh, a, a chef on. Or there yeah. would be an episode, and then they were talking specifically on how they were going to cook something up. And I would just – I would suck into that episode and just eat up, uh, pun intended, that whole episode <laughs> and just enjoy it so much. I listened to one where the the chef was just going on about recipes and how, how you should do this and do that with your stuff. And, you know, th- these are all just tips that you could take away. And I end up listening to that for like three or four times just because there wasn't anything better on later that week. <laughs> and this was in the early days when before every 35 year old white male had a podcast, <laughs> we, it was still like the wild west at that point. And so, but then there was like, I kept, running dry on on stuff i i would i wouldn't have anything to listen to and this is where dustin was really probing into me and he said well instead of wanting one instead of whining about it why don't you make one <laughs> and so that became the kind of the the idea of like all right well if i can't find it i'll be i'll create it and so that's where the whole idea for hunter vor came up and through that, through this statement, that was really, if I was going to make this successful, it had to be a vision and a mission behind it. And so coming forward, I'm, I'm coming into an industry, the hunting industry that I know very little about being a, a first gen hunter. Right. And my idea is I'm coming in here for, for natural protein and there is an order set in front of us. And I, I was purposeful when I said wild creation because the intelligent design that was put forward uh, in the wilderness that we do have, whether it be our, you know, our, our set aside wildernesses or even just a field edge and the amount of diversity that's there and how life is just going to spring up out. And no matter how hard we try to calculate uh, what's going to happen these critters are amazing creations and they will do what mm. wild animals do. They will do the unexpected. Yeah. So I always love to hear like when people have like, well, when the wind is doing this deer will do this. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> now that you said it, they're going to do the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that whole idea that is, yeah, that's our mission. That's our vision is that, Hey, I'm not here to, ha- to have a big ego. I have little status. I'm just a fat kid out of Michigan who wants to talk <laughs> about how to eat deer and do it in a tasty way so that's amen man that'll preach that's uh that's a that's a great thing to hear and a great a great cause and you know i think it rings true with and i agree i you know this is so interesting to me because i feel like our timeline is very similar here um i uh i didn't start hunting until i was in my oh i guess i think when i was 26 was the first year i started hunting and um uh, how hunting has changed in the past seven hunting seasons is maybe not huge, but it has changed, I think. And uh, I think there were probably a lot of people who were maybe a step, step and a half, two steps behind you in the progression as a, as a first gen hunter um, with what you're saying, uh, who were starting to look at the food side of this 
you know, and have that real natural inclination to that because, you know, just kind of following your timeline here, shortly after you started doing that, from what it sounds like, uh, a lot, all these things started popping up, you know, these, these different events like, uh, um, QDMA now the, Oh, great. Now I'm forgetting the, uh, is it the national, it's not national deer Alliance. They, they, they came together. Uh, uh, what is it now? I can't remember, but anyways, uh, back when they were still the QDMA, uh, national deer association, that's what they are now used to be Alliance. Now it's association. Uh, but back when they were still the QDMA, they were doing these, these mentorship programs. And, uh, I think they were the ones who kind of had a few of their employees going to like farmer's markets. I think it was setting up a little booth and handing out free venison. Yeah, that was the, the field to fork program. Um, they had done a little work with, with BHA as well, backcountry okay, hunter anglers, okay. anglers. So there was another little connection there, but that, I think that's just an awesome program of people who are motivated by food and who are excited about the hunting opportunity. But yet I have no idea what I'm doing and to have someone (laughs) knows what they're doing, enjoys being outside. What better way to set a hunt, a, a great foot forward for the hunting community than say, Hey, come along and let's, let's get you that deer. Let's, let's get you that fat dough so you can eat on that all winter. I think that's an amazing, amazing program. Yeah, absolutely. And and it showed that because of its success, it showed that I think there were a lot of people in that same boat as you or that you were, you know, just a year or two prior to them who were looking around and being like, hey, how can I learn more about this? How can I get more of this? And in a way, I think what it did was it shifted public perception towards hunting a little bit in a, in a good way. You know, a lot of times you've, you've probably heard the argument, um, you know, we need to keep the, uh, neutral majority on our side as hunters. Right. I think, uh, I can't remember the numbers. It's 7%. I think it's 7% of voters are hunters. And, uh, so it's like night, the breakdown is like 93% of, of voters then are non hunters. And, uh, there's a certain percent of the, those non hunters that are anti hunters. And then the vast majority of people just have this, you know, Hey, as long as it doesn't affect me negatively, you know, go ahead and, uh, yeah, you, you know, well, we're okay with, with hunting being a legal activity, basically, you know, and, I think that that was more so the general opinion, just leave me alone. I'll leave you alone type of thing. But I think through food people, there's been this awakening, this, this, this food renaissance, you know, where people are looking at, Hey, where does my food come from? Hey, uh, you know, what, what process of caring for this food, um, before it ended up on my plate, what, what, what was that all about? Is this, uh, you know, you, you remember you used to not be able to, uh, grocery shop without seeing the word organic 873 times when you'd, <laughs> you'd uh, go through the store, you know, that, that word started to become a regular part of our, our, uh, you know, daily conversations, it seemed. And so this, this awakening towards, towards food has in a sense, I think provided some validation for hunting. Would you agree with that? 
Absolutely. And I would even take that one step further and to say the current event of 2020, Hmm. when the pandemic hit and the CEO of, it was either, it was a Tyson or was it Sara Lee? I forget which one, but the CEO said in a statement, you know, he had blah, 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 blah. The food chain is broken. Hmm. And at that point he was talking about being able to bring live animal to a processor to then packaging to then storefront and how in what we went through uh, in 2020 that there was a food shortage and we felt that at the farm there was a three-week panic where we were just all hands on deck as far as trying to produce as much uh, product as possible to feed the need of people who were no longer going to the big box grocery stores, who were not going to the, even the small town grocery stores because there was no meat. And there was this, I need, I need, I need, I need. There was this panic buy and hunters at that point didn't have that. Right. Yeah. My upright freezer here was still full and I was like, you know what? I'm probably going to go through it a little quicker yeah. And I'm going to have to say, you know what? I can't just go one doe, one buck this year. I'm going to have to go two does and a buck. I might have to go three animals this year to really try to up, you know, what I'm using. But at the same time, I had that available. And the, and the feeling that either through the social media and just, you know, phone calls to other guys talk and they were saying just, hey, if you guys need anything, I, I got a whole bunch of burger. And just the outcry of hunters being able to willing to share yeah. their bounty, like that's that's the venison diplomacy that <laughs> I, like that, I yeah. think shocked. I, th- I don't. I don't want to say it shocked the world, but at the same time, where the oh, you're just talking about food because it's easy. It you know it disarms us and it makes us not want to talk about it. But at the same time, when push came to shove, I had meat and I'm willing to share it. And even though I. I, I always use the hashtag when I'm cooking up ribeyes or I'm cooking up, you know, the turkey from our farm. I'm like hashtag don't diss domestic. It is still a amazing, yeah. uh, amazing protein. You can find awesome beef, awesome pork, awesome oh, yeah. uh, chicken, turkey anywhere. Um, you just got to look really hard for it. But it's it's out there and it's good. And the way that I heard it put most best was from a gentleman by the name of Shane Mahoney. And he talked about that if, if hunting goes away, let's say hunting, hunting, just it's, it's canceled for next year. Let's take into account the poundage of harvest of wild harvest that we got Mm -hmm. and just ixnay that. How many pounds is that? How how many deer is that? And then now put that stress onto a food system that we have already. Mm-hmm. That now we've added, we've taken away this wild harvest and we're now having to rely on the food chain system that mm-hmm. we've watched break. I think that's a real statement for folks that are, are thinking ahead and who are wanting to really take charge of what's coming in on their plate to make them really think about that, you know, if this, if this hunting game that I'm playing, if it's just a game, I, and I can give or take it, you know, it's one of those things like maybe, maybe you give it up, you know, maybe if it's just a game, if there's no weight behind it, I mean, 
it, it is just an activity to you. But at the same time, if you can walk away and say, you know what, I provide wholesome, awesome protein to my family and that I don't have to go buy uh, expensive beef that, you know, prices might be going up because of supply or might not even be there one day. I have, uh, a, you know, I, what do I want to ask? What do I want to say? Peace of mind. I have a peace yeah. of mind knowing security. that my freezer's there. Yes, security. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's another great point that's put in there. And it, and it, what it does is it also validates something you mentioned earlier, you know, uh, that hunting can be viewed as primal and barbaric, but in this sense where you're meeting a real need in a real time of crisis, it's pretty good to have those primal and barbaric uh, <laughs> skills still in your back pocket to, to be able to uh, continue surviving. You know, that, that's, uh, that was one of my, thoughts you know with how everything just went in this last year how we had to interact as people and rather not interact as people in some ways uh but but we're still just just uh some some uh human beings crawling around on this rock trying to find a place to live trying to find something to eat and trying to to make the most of our time that that we're given here and uh hunting and farming both factor into that and you know hugely and so um i i think i think uh you're you're spot on there and that's a great point too i hadn't heard that statement from uh, shane mahoney but that that is a great point and you know from a conservation standpoint too if you had to add that much more to the to our uh you know our human food chain so to speak uh think of how much more habitat would have to be destroyed. You know, you're talking, you, you think we're fence row to fence row now in a lot of places with, with our, our, um, you know, planting and, uh, you know, we're seeing more and more confinement sheds that get, that get put up and, and take up a big, you know, piece of area on the, on the landscape where you, you would have to have even more of that. If uh, everybody was going to d depend on depend on uh, only what what uh, farming can give us, so there's definitely room for both. Both are needed. Both are vital if we're going to uh, continue enjoying uh, enjoying life as we do. So I think those are those are excellent points. But yeah, I think the food side does does help people. But you know what we can really get philosophical here and we can look at some aspects of hunting where somebody might say yeah but what about shooting prairie dogs in wyoming <laughs> you know or what about uh trophy hunting in another country and you're not even able to bring the meat back or uh you, you know we could go we could go on down the list and i'm not going to sit here and pretend that these are easy questions that i have an immediate response for um but uh they they can be a little bit tougher to answer when you do take food for yourself or your family or your loved ones out of the equation wouldn't you agree absolutely and you know here i am i'm a small town Midwest kid on a farm. I, you know, from a young age, I, I witnessed turkeys being processed mm -hmm. and, you know, it wasn't until like I got to college, I actually took an ecology class and the professor was really probing into these questions of, of livestock and of, of, of eating animals. And I think, I think he had an agenda. 
And <laughs> of, of course, I'm like, you know, these these things would come up. And at that point, I'm just kind of like, you know what? I just I just want the A. I just want the grade. <laughs> just let's let this coast by. I'm not here to learn and, anything, man. Just give me I my just, grade. <laughs> give me the test. and I'll move on. Don't don't try to indoctrinate me on this. But then, of course, kid sitting next to me. Well, Nick here grew up on a farm. It was like, oh, shoot, bullseye. on my Yeah, back. right. And so having to answer, you know, you get a couple of these and I, I don't want to sound too generic, but at least in that in that opportunity, you know, I've got I got a couple ladies sitting two rows over that really were hounding me with questions, um, more or less pointed questions to be like, how dare you? Yeah. And at the same time, like it, it's all on perspective. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to throw shade on them because they they don't see what was going on. They didn't see the effort and care that went into that whole process. But I have witnessed footage of animals being taken across um, over there in Africa. And then here comes, you know, know, they load up that big thing, either a hippo or the giraffe or whatever it is. They load that up into the truck and that heads over to the village that houses the hunters at that point. And you see an army of people come out with, with knives and with steels and just start taking the hide off and start cutting that animal up. And it's that, that whole food drive. I'm looking at that. And I'm like, that's a village that's going to just be able to eat exactly. on that animal for yep. a long period of time. Yep. So again, I am, <laughs> I'm worlds away from whatever that is, but I witnessed that footage and I, I get that those villagers coming out there and cutting that animal up. I'm like, why, why is that wrong? Because that's what I would do every Monday when we would process turkeys Mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, the prairie dogs getting smucked out on a piece of property where they are doing damage. And it's like, you know, you got, you got to control that. How many prairie dogs are there? And to bring that down to a carrying capacity that can allow crops to grow and them to have a colony, that's a great balance. And we've taken the predators away. So we have to provide that balance. Yeah. Yep. You're that's, that's a great way to say it. And, um, the one thing I do, I do want to, um, continue to echo though, is that last part there where you said, uh, you highlighted the fact that we've taken a lot of the predators off the landscape or in, in a more general sense, we've changed the landscape so much that hunting, um, really plays a critical role that we really don't have another better way to, um, contribute towards, uh, conservation of resources as being used by not just ourselves but other other species on the landscape it it is not the same as it once was now that uh we have developed the power to manipulate so much of the way our our natural world um operates so yeah very well said well you know, we could we could go on and on here in the the philosophical realm. Hopefully, uh, nobody's getting too uh, annoyed with our uh, <laughs> our uh, our old man ramblings here. But um, you know, let's talk a little how to here. Let's uh, let's go ahead and transition now to how do we get the most out of our game? And I kind of want to start with asking a uh, pretty uh, generic question that you probably get asked a lot, and that is. What's the most, what, what do you view as the most common mistakes people are making when it comes to preparing wild game? Um, right from the get go, I would say the common mistake would be 
driving that animal around in the back of your pickup truck, showing your buddies the <laughs> the rack, having glamour shots, getting taken with your animal. Like that's all time that you're adding to the clock of that meat spoiling. Hmm. You know, when people talk about gamey or oh man, this buck was super ruddy. Well, you know, the three hours that you had driving around and hanging out at the gas station so everybody could see it, that's where the gamey came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so but now there are we're in a game where we're not in a controlled environment. We don't have uh, electroshock. We don't have a stun gun. This animal is moving around. We're using a shotgun, a rifle, a bow, a crossbow, whatever the, the means to take it is. So at that point, like shot placement's going to be important, making sure it's a very fast as much as I want to say ethical kill at that point i want that kill to be super fast i want mm-hmm. the animal to go down um one for yeah the disney side where i don't want the animal to suffer but at the same time the time starts ticking as soon as that animal hits the ground on mm-hmm. getting uh the best quality that you can out of that meat so mm-hmm. being able to field dress uh take out the butthole having the whole thing cleaned out on the inside and get that thing hanging up and get it as cold as quickly as you can um Taking an urgency on that, I would say, was probably the most common mistake, at least that I've heard um, from different people. Um, I mean, at the same time, you get a big monster buck. You do. You want to show it off to people. And if it's cold, you're in Michigan. If it's, I mean, if it's really cold and people are doing a buck poll, like of all, you know, heck yeah, go let it hang out there. Let people ooh and ah over that. But if you can get your pictures taken in the field, get that thing cleaned out and then show pictures of it or, you know, once you've got it chilled out, then show the rack. That would probably be the best thing to do. But uh, meat care takes uh, takes an effect as soon as that animal hits the ground. So I would probably say that's the biggest mistake is just adding an urgency to that. That's a great point. And uh, I agree. I I think uh, we get we get a little too uh, lax, you know, after, because there is a stress let off. You know, we talked to, we joked earlier about the blackout after, <laughs> after the trigger squeeze or whatever, but uh, there is like this natural let off. You know, you feel that pressure in the back of your head. I don't have a deer yet. And then when you get one, it's like, oh, whew, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting skunked this year, you know? And mm-hmm. so I think that that is, that is probably part of why we, you know, kind of get a little careless there. You know, we, we start feeling like, oh yeah, you know, I, I uh, took care of what I set out to do, but, um, you know, we have to still remember what is the most important part of this and what is, what is the, the cost for the animal, right? Well, the animal had to die so we can eat. So let's, uh, let's try and do them justice by not letting them spoil and, uh, you know, get them, get them on ice as quick as possible. Or as you said, get them hung up and, and hanging. Now, now with, with hanging, one of the things that I see on occasion, not all the time, just on occasion, you know, I, First of all, and you probably are more familiar with this being from the uh, ag industry, but um, there's proper ways that I've seen to hang a deer and improper ways to hang a deer. I had a taxidermist on for one episode, and he said one of the biggest problems he gets is people will pack ice in the cavity and they'll let it get all the way up into the neck, and they'll leave that bag of ice in the uh, in the uh, the 
chest cavity and it's hanging from its back legs and all that water just like runs down and gets in between the hide and the, the, the meat underneath. And, uh, it, he calls those, uh, those deer jelly heads when he gets them. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, have you, have you found, is there a best way that people should be hanging their deer? Yeah. Hang them, uh, from their rear legs. You want to take a big bag of ice and you want to shove it right there in that chest cavity and let that sucker melt because that's going to keep it. No, I'm <laughs> I was like, did you not hear what I just said? <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to be at odds with every taxidermist because I haven't taken anything to a taxidermist. All my stuff is Euro mounted. And yep. when it comes to like hanging that on the wall, like the, the skull is good enough for me, although I haven't shot in a big enough one that I want to have necessarily a shoulder mount to. Um, but yeah, uh, getting those things as, as cooled down and being able to let that is that escape. So I actually do hang it from the hind legs. That is one way that I do that. Hmm. Um, but what I'll actually do is when I'm in there, I cut that esophagus as close to, uh, the bottom of that rib cage as possible. And then I'll actually take a cut. Now, again, if it's going to be for a tech, if I wouldn't be doing this for a taxidermist anyway, but I would actually cut a drain, um, in its throat so that if I were to have, as I'm spraying the animal out and if I do have water or blood pooling a way for that to run away, mm. any fluid that's on the inside of that, that the longer it's allowed to just sit there and be wet, that can increase the chances for spoiling. Um, I've had, I've heard a lot of people say like, don't spray at all where I, I don't think that's necessarily true. If you can clean that out with water, yeah. that's, that's one good way to clean it out. But at the same time, be able to let air flow through that cavity. Um, so that's why I always go, uh, butt end up, um, I, I love having one of the, the gambles, um, being able to slide those through. It hangs up really nice. Um, I find that that's a, a good way to do it. I know guys hang um, from the neck and they go up that way so things drain out hey, to each their own at that point. Um, but the, at the same time, being able to have a condition, use the weather conditions or whatever means of refrigeration you have mm-hmm. uh, to get that cooled down. If it's going to be cold um, in that you know 30s and 40s realm, if you can have a dark garage where it's a cement floor, uninsulated, that's going to be, you can hang that sucker up there for several days and, mm. and be good, especially if those temperatures dip or during, during the night, because I do want to give it some days to age and sure. to be able to have those, those muscles relax, let the enzymes that are in there to do their work so that I can get a quality product on the end result. But you're you're playing with environments at this point. So it's almost one of those things like you just have to be ready not only as a sportsman, but then now as a processor, you've got to be ready to think on your feet. What am I given and what can I get the best result out of? So my my approach to that is, you know, read what you got and then just give yourself flexibility, give yourself resources. Have a backup fridge that you can then put an animal in there for a couple of days just to keep it low temp. That's going to be uh, a great way to do that. I don't say use the kitchen one. That's going to turn a lot of wives away. <laughs> so, and then once you pull it out, I mean, yeah, then you got to clean it up. But at the same time, that's better than having you hang it up and then letting it spoil. Um, yeah. There's some guys that it's still so warm. Go to a processor, 
I would start making processor connections now. Maybe mm. I should put that as the most common mistake is guys show up to their processor with deer on opening day because now they're showing up with a deer and here's a line of trucks outside, you know, registering to get their, uh, their animal in. Like you don't want to be the last one at the gate because you might not get into the fridge. Your deer might have to hang outside and you don't want that. So I would start making connections with a processor if that's going to be the means that you're going to go with and start asking these questions, say, Hey, when do you want it? Or how do you like it done for the processor? so that you can get the best quality uh, meat back. So, yeah, that's probably when it comes to game prep, us not being part of the ag, us not having walk-in freezers and coolers at our disposals all the time, we just got to be ready to roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I would add to that, never underestimate the power of coolers with ice too. You know, if you yes. if, that, if that's all you can come up with, you know, swing by the gas station and keep replenishing your ice and your cooler or whatever. It, it's just better to to make sure you're going above and beyond to take care of it. But but yeah, having that extra that extra fridge or or you know, worked out perfectly for me. I I processed my my own deer for the first time this this last season and your the garage you just just described was pretty much my garage. <laughs> it was it was a uh, it was December, so it was plenty cold, uninsulated, and uh, concrete floors. And uh, I let that that baby hang in there for. I got it cut up pretty quick, but I just kind of let the meat sit in coolers. And and um, uh, I could even I think if I remember, I was even able to just kind of let it sit in buckets and, and all bagged up after I deboned it and just let it you know the the environment, the cold environment, chill it, and then. Uh, broke it down further, packaged it up and, and man, it's been, it's been great after having aged it. And I would have, I would have never thought of that aging, um, aspect until I heard it from somebody else. And so I guess I'm kind of answering my own question there. What do, what do you, what do people miss out on that? They, 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 they don't realize that they're doing wrong or something. So those were, those are great tips. Now that we're to the point where we're, we're preparing a meal, we're, we're grabbing this, this pack, this perfectly packaged piece of, uh, of, um, deboned meat out of the freezer. And I'll, I'll let you choose what cut of meat we're dealing with here. We'll keep talking the context of a deer because that probably relates to most people. But uh, what cut of meat are you grabbing out? And now what is what is the next process or the next step in the process that you think most people are missing out on that you are going to do at this point? Gotcha. Um, I like to keep things whole muscle. So when I'm in this scenario, as I'm pulling out this piece of meat, I'm picturing in my mind, I'm pulling out a top round. Uh, That's a large muscle on one of the hind legs. Mm -hmm. And um, venison, as much as they do eat the corn and soybeans that are brought out to, uh, that's then harvested and then usually brought over to to cattle, venison is not going to taste like beef. And I Mm -hmm. think that's something that people, as much as they, they say that, that they're that they're going to know that that's not going to taste that way when they first taste it and it it triggers something new in their mind when they eat it so it's one of those things that as you forward this up to be like listen i'm not eating beef um so i need to get this idea of beefiness out of my head <laughs> and that any like 
different flavor that I'm getting from it. Instead of calling it gamey, try to figure out what that that taste is like the uniqueness that venison can provide to a meal is something that no other protein can bring, you know, just as much as, you know, a beef, a beef hamburger, like you can't get anything better than that. And there's like, that's its niche market, but at the same time, like bacon, I mean, people have tried to make all different sorts of bacon and you know (laughs) what? Pork is just made this magical thing. (laughs) I'm not going to make a burger out of pork belly. Although now that I'm saying it out loud, maybe, maybe that does need to be a thing sometime, (laughs) but you're going to have to put these things, not to say you're going to think you want to think outside the box, but realize that it does come from a box. You you are in the venison realm. So be prepped. Mm. This is now going to taste a little different than beef. This is going to be venison. But with that saying that all being said with that big piece of meat, um, being able to, uh, extract the most flavor out of that. I don't want to necessarily blow it up with all sorts of different seasonings. I don't, as much as like adding a ton of spice is going to be super good. Um, but totally covering that up is not necessarily the route that you're going to want to go with anyway. So you don't want to like, I mean, a, a, a hard marinade, on on a big piece of meat like that you're going to get the flavor on just the first little quarter inch but then you're not going to get it to the inside um there's a lot of different preparations you can go with it i know we were talking a little bit this one about the beginning but with a large piece of meat like that doing an overnight brine is a very good way in two part to add seasoning uh past just surface level to get that to Mm. penetrate all the way into that thicker cut and and on a big, a big, uh, buck sirloin or excuse me, uh, around, you know, using an injector and then injecting that brine to go deeper, um, is going to be something that's going to be to your benefit, um, for two reasons. Number one, it will get that seasoning deep into there, like I mentioned. Um, but second is just going to be moisture retention. Hmm. Um, going, I mean, you're talking with, a biology teacher here, we can go through the whole process of, of osmosis and how diffusion works its way through, you know, when, when sodium and salt, uh, is on one side of that paradigm, the, the natural thing for water to do is equalize. So you're going to have that process go all the way through from the salty outside. It's going to work its way all the way onto the inside of that. Um, depending on what seasoning you use in that brine might be more apparent or less apparent. I know some people get very intricate with their brines and Hey, more power to them. Um, I go with a basic brine, um, you know, salt and sugar, salt and brown sugar is my usual go-to. Um, but that's what I, I really like to use. Um, adding a little bit of like a, something with a little bit of oil to it, such as like a, a black pepper or um, even a garlic that that can work its way through that brine as well. Um, I like an overnight in the brine, uh, especially for a larger piece of meat. When I'm then using that in a cooking preparation, if I'm going to um, if I'm going to a smoker, or I'm going to a grill. Uh, a lot of times, what I'll do with that is is temperature control is very critical. I don't want to let it get to its cook point 
too fast, mm. especially in a low, low, slow aspect. I want to be able to provide enough heat that I am bringing that temperature up, but I want to then, depending on what level of doneness I want, looking at like 125 for a rare, 130, I'm talking degrees Fahrenheit here mm-hmm. at that point. Yep. So 120 would be 120 to 125 is your rare. And then 130 to 135 is like your medium and just working up all the way through the scale and just knowing what doneness you're looking to use and be able to achieve that in a controllable sense rather than just letting it get hot, think you're close and either end up with a a bloody mess that you weren't expecting (laughs) or shoe leather that you are also, you know, now giving to the dog. Um, so being able to figure out, to know what you want pre pre ahead of time, and then be able to either use a meat probe or, uh, something along the way to then know what your prescribed doneness is. That's what you're going for. Hmm. Great advice there. And, uh, the, the brining thing that has changed wild game and not just wild game, any, any meat, Honestly, that has changed it for me. If you if you take the time to set up a brine, which is super easy, um, it is it is so worth it. And nice nice uh, explanation of uh, tonicity and osmosis there that uh, that you had there. You must have been paying attention to some of your science classes. <laughs> so. That's my minor is biology. So yeah, okay, I, I good think it's just a little bit. <laughs> good good. No, that was that was excellent. So uh, yeah, so so. The careful preparation in that that next phase, getting it out of the freezer, getting it into that brine, having the right amount of time for that. Now, now I, you mentioned going overnight. I have heard, and I think I've maybe even experienced doing this myself before, if I remember correctly. If you leave meat in a brine too long, it can kind of can kind of develop a little bit of a of a. I don't know, an, a hyper salty taste to it. Is that, is that a problem if somebody leaves it too long? Um, it all depends on taste and depending on how saline you made your brine at that point, hmm. if you poured on the salt in that thing and you've got to the point where you've been able you're at that mixing point where you still have salt not dissolved because it's like fully in <laughs> there. like some water to go with your salt, sir. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you can take those to a point of, I don't want to say unpalatable, but very like, wow, I need to have a bite and then a glass of water and then I can go back for another bite. Um, I've noticed this in uh, pastrami. And mm. looking through pastrami recipes, some of them have you go to that far extreme point of adding, you know, Super really salty. getting that thing salty because on the back end, the way they finish is you boil the the pastrami and that leaches out because now you're, you're back to fresh water. You're not in the right. brine at this point that leaches out some of the salt, bringing it to that evening that, it out kind of yeah, that really precise spot where you wanted it to be. So there is the chance of doing that. If you're being brazen with both your brine and your brine time, hmm. I would say overnight in a, in a basic setup brine, I don't think you're going to achieve that. But if you're definitely going for like a pastrami, which I would say if anybody's looking to get inventorous, vending pastrami is dynamite. And mm. going and making that super, uh, super intense brine is worth the effort. 
playing around with Instacure is worth the effort of coming out with that because man, that'll change. That will change the way that you do St. Patrick's day. <laughs> I like it, man. I want to try that. I'm my, my wife is a much better, uh, much better chef than I am. So I might have to uh, get her to assist me, but it sounds amazing. I'd love to make myself some, uh, uh, could you like slice it up? I assume into like a, kind of like a lunch meat and, and, uh, make yourself a good sandwich out of it. Oh yeah. That's the way that I like it. The thinner that I can slice it, the better. Mm. Um, at that point I'll chill it. So I like to, as soon as it's done, let it rest, let it do its thing. And then I'll actually go to the fridge with it. Once it's, once it's done. Um, then once it's fully chilled, even if I give it like 30 minutes in the freezer, it just stiffens it up. I'm not freezing it. I'm just Mm -hmm. really stiffening up that piece of meat at that point. Um, longer, skinnier blade that you can have is going to be the best. If you don't have a meat slicer, um, I know their meat slicers are getting, uh, more residential friendly here. More and more people are having them, but having just a long, uh, straight knife doesn't even need to be serrated. Um, that's great for just making the one, almost like a fillet, like a fillet knife almost. Is that that what you're describing? Yeah. I mean, every, every tackle box or kitchen has, I think one of those like $8 Rapala fillet (laughs) knives, at least roaming around someplace. I'm even, you know, I'm a novice fisherman. I fish for bluegills. I like, I'm a worm dunker. That's all I do. Yeah. But I have one of those fillet knives. Right. So I feel everybody. <laughs> and you have, and you have to sharpen it like after every, uh, every third, <laughs> third cut. But yeah, that, no, that, that sounds, that sounds amazing, man. Well, that kind of, you know, you're mentioning a wet cooking method there when you're talking about boiling the pastrami, which sounds super interesting to me. And uh, what, what about uh, like grilling, frying, baking, roasting? You got any like uh, general rules that you could maybe like rapid fire at us here that that you try to follow when you're when you're using these different heat sources or heat app heat applications for for cooking meat? Gotcha. Whew. You're asking one question, but I have I could throw an encyclopedia <laughs> at you, just depending on the different method, the different cut, on what you want to do with it. Um, you know, just spitballing right off the top of my head. If I'm going to fry something, um, it's usually going to be a piece of meat that I'm going to have pounded flat. I'm going to then add uh, uh, a flour dusting. Then I'm going to go to the egg. Then I'm going to go to the breadcrumb and be able to hit that hard and fast. I want that pan going to be screaming if I'm going to be doing a fry. Mm, Um, Good to know. My wife really likes rare and I like rare to medium rare on, on, on all my meats, basically, or at least on all my red meats. So being able to hit that hard, um, to have a crust on there, but that when I cut through, have both the tenderness of being able to have that pounded flat, um, whether I'm using, you know, cast iron, a mallet, or I've, I've got a cubert in my hand or whatever I've got, but being able to be able to pound that flat. And then with a hard sear that that's a great use of the fry method at that point. Hmm. Um, I like to even make them into smaller chunks. You know, we've the, the waffle maker we have, uh, does, uh, the square Belgiums. They're like, uh, they got the big, the big voids in there, the big squares in them, but they're also the small waffles. So mm. be able to put like down one waffle and then a few of those pieces of the, uh, uh, fried venison or the, you know, the, 
cube steak at least at that point, and then hit that with like a spicy, uh, either a spicy sauce or even just to go like full on maple syrup. Um, I did do a jalapeno infused maple syrup. I tell you that changes breakfast for oh, you. Oh man, that sounds really good. I love pile that on top. Sweet That's and hot. The fry method right there. Oh man, oh, oh. man, um, this is like turning me back into <laughs> when I was going through your Instagram. <laughs> uh, grilling. Uh, people like to get uh, real fancy when it comes to their grills. Um, bigger the cut, the more control you're going to have. And if you're wanting to go rare to medium rare, use that probe thermometer. Um, when I do a backstrap, I don't cut into medallions. I, when I throw it in the freezer, I got them in like a six inch section. So I'll, I'll take like one backstrap and cut it into thirds and then put those into one package. And then I'll actually cook them as that whole piece. And then finally, when I'm ready to plate, I'll then slice it up, uh, for the guest, at least at that point, at least, well, that's what I've done for me and my wife. And she really appreciates that, um, Hmm. because I can get to that rare side. So cooking, uh, or grilling backstrap as a longer piece, as opposed to cut up medallions will save you, uh, when it comes to your temperature control. Hmm. Um, when I'm doing that, I also like to use a reverse sear method. Um, same thing with the oven. I'll, I'll do this on the inside during the wintertime if I'm not grilling. Um, but I'll, I'll go indirect heat, and I'm going to pay attention to the, temp- the internal temperature um, with that probe. When I get to my des- like 5 degrees or even like 8 degrees less than desired, I'll pull it off, rest it, and then I'm actually going to hit it with a really thin layer of mayonnaise. Hmm. I stole this from the Harvesting Nature guys, and I love this trick. Now, I hit it with just a little bit of mayo because the egg and the oil in that is going to, when I hit that on high heat, is actually going to create that seared crust that we're looking for. You get that on beef because it's got all that marbled fat. Mm. Venison doesn't have that. So by adding just, I mean, I use a little silicon brush and I just put a slight layer. I mean, just enough to whiten the outside of it. And then, man, let the... Let the flames and the coals do the rest of that. It's literally 45 seconds, roll it, 45 seconds, pull it off, and it is amazing. Man, so watch the temperature for, for grilling, and the pro tip there is just that little bit of, little bit of mayo on the outside for your sear. Man, you're like making my mouth water. All I can think about are the back straps in my freezer right now. <laughs> oh, man, that sounds so good. Well, what is your, this isn't necessarily your favorite dish here, but what's your favorite, because I'm going to ask you that here in a minute, and we're going to run through some scenarios, but what is your favorite cooking method? Is it a wet cooking method, like with a pastrami, or do you really get into the grilling and frying, or, or roasting, or, you know, baking? What's your favorite cooking method? Oh, it's like asking, which one is your favorite kid, you know? <laughs> Well, today I can tell you it's not the middle one. He was under my skin. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I find there's a lot of versatilities when it comes, and I, each of them do their absolute greatest. Um, if I'm going to pick one that I do get excited about, it's going to be a braise um, or a wet method. Mm. Either being able to go full on Dutch oven style and 
go in the oven for six to eight hours. You know, I watch it's on Netflix. It's called Taco Chronicles. And I, I can just watch that show after show after show. And each time, like it's a completely new taco that's being made. But at the same time, the cooking method is, you know, they're, they got a big vat of, uh, either goat meat or whatever they've used. Mm. And they've got a big pit in the ground that they've got this big fire in. They put the vessel down inside of it and they cover the whole thing with dirt and they don't touch it again until morning. Like just that low, slow braise and the magic that happens in all of that. You take, (laughs) you take pieces of meat that no normal person would use you take a front shoulder off of, of off of a buck, and a lot of people are like, "Yep, that's going into grind." Where I say, "Nay, I'm keeping it full pieces." Hmm. My favorite cut. Maybe I'm giving something away for for later on here when we start breaking stuff down. But my favorite cut of venison is a shank. I love shanks just for the fact that that is you- the second time <laughs> I have heard somebody tell me that. That is so really? crazy to me. But I, I want to hear what you're going to say. Gotcha. There is so much, like, they talk about any, anything away from the hoof. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything away from the hoof and the horn is where you're going to get tenderness. Um, hence, we have backstrap. Hence, we have uh, tenderloins, which are delicious. But at the same time, they lack the effort and they lack the work that these other muscles are doing, where the shanks are working every single day. They mm. have They have more... Oh, what do I want to say? Um, they have more work applied to them. They're going to have a flavor that you're going to get that doesn't come from, uh, like like a backstrap. That it's just not going to have that. Yeah, it's just all great, that greater muscle tissue, tone, really. Yeah, all that connective tissue when heat is applied properly. You put that in one of you put that in you know a liquid. You either got to you know wine or you go beer or water or stock or whatever it is you take that shank and throw that into that braising pot and you throw it into the oven um i mean my man hank shaw has an amazing quote that says if you can cook a rock long enough or if you can braise a rock long enough it'll get soft like that's (laughs) what we're doing with this and to be able to then open that up after eight hours and literally take a fork and just shred that meat off there's a velvety a velvetiness that doesn't come from any other piece, and just being able to apply that into a whole merit a whole load of dishes like this is just one piece of meat that then can be applied into five different ways, and then if you ever have to freeze it, I've never had to freeze it because it always gets finished, <laughs> but you can freeze it and then bring it back again for another meal. So I'm gonna have Man. to say that is probably one of my favorites wow that's that's really interesting i i'll have to ask you after the show if you if you know the other guy who uh who uh has mentioned that on this very podcast before for his like it it wasn't the exact you know way of preparing that you mentioned but it was fairly similar and it was a shank he said that was his favorite and it just kind of blew me away but you (laughs) between you two guys I definitely got to look at shanks differently than I ever have before. So that sounds, I mean, can you imagine how many shanks get ground? (laughs) You know, it's, I, 
I can't imagine how many grinder plates get dull from all the tissue, all the, yeah. uh, the tendons that gets <laughs> yeah. thrown through those things. Yeah, man, I, I, that, that just blows me away. That is, that is really cool to hear that again. So I'm, I'm convinced I got to try it. I got to, got to look at a uh, shank a lot differently. All right, so we know we know your favorite way to cook. We 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 need to now throw some some uh, scenarios at you. So you know, whenever I talk food with a foodie, I instantly flash back to the first time I watched the movie Ratatouille, and I think that that uh, <laughs> that movie kind of began my uh, my uh, transition from being a garbage disposal eater. You know, I was like uh, I was like the main character's uh, older giant brother you know like this uh this he, he like has to keep telling him to stop eating garbage that's how i was before i watched ratatouille and then i started <laughs> to, to like slowly transition to uh to uh the the rat that was uh, good at cooking and uh you know so so um going the spirit of the movie ratatouille we're gonna say you're working you got your own uh, uh, three-star restaurant because you're trying to get to that. What was it? The fourth star was like the the perfect uh, the perfect uh, rating or whatever in the movie. I can't remember. But let's say you're trying to get to your your fourth star on your restaurant and uh, super uh, important. Uh, you know, uh, guests are are there that are going to be critiquing you, writing reviews, and all that. You know that this is the mindset we want to set for you here. But gotcha. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some some uh, more specific scenarios than this even. So the first one we're going to start with here, you and your wife are hosting dinner for five other people who, you know, they wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, I identify as a vegetarian or as, as a vegan with my dietary choices. You know, they wouldn't necessarily put that label on themselves, but if you looked at what they choose to eat, they rarely eat meat. So pretty much vegetarian, but because they aren't a strict vegetarian, they are cautiously willing to try some wild game for all the reasons that we mentioned earlier in the show, where they're kind of looking at, Hey, this is a good way to get, you know, organic protein and, and, and so on and so forth. What are you going to make for these people so that you do not ruin this golden opportunity? And that's exactly what that is, man. Golden opportunity. Not only am I, you know, trying to, to really be, uh, up in my game, but now I have people that are really hesitant. I shouldn't say hesitant. They're, they're willing, they're open, but man, they've already got a bias and I Mm -hmm. have to somehow get around the bias. Right. That's tough. I think that's becoming more and more of a hunter's dilemma right now is like, (laughs) man, I, I gotta be picky on who's coming over. Cause I want to make sure I cook something good. <laughs> so, I mean, that first one, you know, playing to your audience, you want to make sure that you're, you're making something that they're going to enjoy. Um, but being playful with what you're going to be giving them. If you're excited, I, I do this with my elementary students. Like if I want them to be at a level, if I want them to be at level six, I have to be at a level 10 or 11 Mm. because I have to make up for the ones that aren't going to get up to that excitement level. I got to be overexcited and I really have to sell it. Mm. So presentation is going to be huge, especially for people who are hesitant. But I want to make something that not only is too far outside of their wheelhouse, 
Um, and I can think of actually two instances where I had people who were hesitant to the idea of wild game that I, I really went playful on a dish, something that, that was familiar, but that they knew was going to be different. Hmm. Um, in one instance, I went with something where you are going to really spice up that meat, where it's going that the spice has an importance. And I made venison gyros for mm. friends of ours that came over. She was really into a little bit of that Middle Eastern stuff. She really liked gyros in college, and that's where we had met them. So now they're in our house. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going gyro route again. I didn't have the time to make the big pyramid of meat and then like slice off the side. Like didn't <laughs> the, have the time trombo. Is that what they call those things? Yes. Trombos. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, um, I made up cubed meat that I ended up going into a marinade. So I actually, I took a piece of meat and I'm trying to think if it was, uh, I think it was an inside loin and I think I had a bottom around at this point, but I cut them up into like one inch cubes um, that you could a big enough that you could take a, if you wanted to, if you're, you know, if, if you're a man, you can take a one bite <laughs> or if you're trying to be polite, you can take a, you know, two bites off of it. Sure. But I wanted it roughly about that size because I was going to put it into a marinade, um, something that was going to sit in there for probably about four to six hours. It's not thick enough that I need to, that it would take brine to be able to do something. I just wanted the outside to have that real, uh, hit of the spice. Sure. Um, and I can't even remember the spices that I put into it. Um, I know there was some cumin. I know, oh, there was cinnamon in there. So I was really playing on that savory, sweet aspect. Mm hmm. I ended up putting them onto a skewer and I did kebabs. So I hit them all with like the kebabs, but then I had warmed up a bunch of the pita. I whipped up some tzatziki sauce, which is really a yogurt based with cucumber in there. And it's got lemon. And I think it's got some salt and another, another hint of something in there. Um, but whip that up. So now there was that homemade uh, aspect that I was going with. Oh, and then man. Let people dress them up at that point. So I presented them with the skewer and the pita, and they got to put on the tomato. They got to put on the tzatziki. And so it was like a real like engaging aspect of this. Oh, what are you putting on yours? Oh, this is what I'm putting on mine. So they got to play with that a little bit. And just they were just blown away with how moist the meat was, how tender it was. And how it really did play into what a gyro would taste like. And it was an easy hurdle to get over being that I'm serving them wild game just because of how it was presented. Hmm. That's super insightful. And I don't know what direction I thought you were going to go, but that wasn't the direction I thought you were going to go. And it was really insightful. And, and it was actually the reason I, and the reason I say that is because I've noticed where I have tried to hit a home run on this golden opportunity and did okay, but maybe didn't quite get across the, you know, drive home, home that run like I wanted to. It was because of presentation. You're exactly right. I never would have thought of that. But looking back on that, those, those kind of, I, I don't want to quite call them missed opportunities, but maybe not fully capitalized on opportunities. It was the presentation was the was the issue. That's a that is a fantastic point. That's that's exactly it. 
Yeah, for people who are, you know, the, oh, it's just like with kids swimming too. Like, you know, you, you want them to jump to you. You don't, you know, they, they're putting their feet in. You don't want to throw them into the deep end. Um, right, yeah. They're not ready for, for diving yet. You know, they want to they want to warm up to that idea. And so just giving them that, uh, you know, where it's presentations up, you're excited. It's an easy avenue when it comes to our venison diplomacy, when it comes to feeding others that are hesitant, we kind of, we have to hold back our desires, man. I would love to serve or to go all out and be like, man, I made venison tripe. I cleaned out <laughs> a whole bunch of venison intestine and what that's my wheelhouse. I like to do that. Jordan Zimmerman, you know, crazy sort of stuff where I'm going to be, uh, trying stuff that nobody else is going to try and delicacy <laughs> gets me all fired up. That does not get everybody fired up. And right. that's an easy way to shut people down yeah. as well. Yeah, that that's that's an excellent answer there. I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually put that into into um, action next time I have that opportunity. Focus really hard on the presentation. Of course, taste has to be has to be excellent as well. But but I almost think that that uh, presentation is a little bit more elusive than a good tasting piece of meat. So that's a that's a that's a great point. Okay, my last scenario here for you. This okay. is. This is a doomsday situation for carnivores such as us. (laughs) Something that I'm actually going to go out on a limb here and say that both of us have probably thought about before. You know, we we play those little mind movies with ourselves, you know, like uh, you're sitting there on the airplane. You're like, what if that, you know, what if that person over there starts going like, crazy and they start like attacking somebody what am i going to do you know we 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 we, we like start preparing ourselves for the worst the worst situation or something and uh uh one of those situations that i run through my head as a meat eater is what if in my outdoor pursuits i pick up the dreaded lone star tick receive a bite from the lone star tick and get unlucky enough to contract alpha gal syndrome, the syndrome that oh, now no. makes you allergic to red meat consumption. So that's this is oh, you, Nick. Man. This is you. You got you picked up a Lone Star tick. I think they're common in the South. Um you pick you're you're down there doing we'll say a, a Tennessee turkey hunt. I think they have some in Tennessee some Lone Star ticks. You you pick up a uh, Lone Star tick bite. You talk to your doctor and he says, "Yep, got bad news for you. You got alpha gal, but you aren't allergic to meat yet. Somehow you're not allergic, you, but that's coming in like any day now. So <laughs> if I were you, I would indulge <laughs> while you still can. What is your last?" Wild game meal, Nick. I'm I'm getting a second opinion already. This doc's a quack. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I'd rather just get sick every day and continue to eat. <laughs> oh man! But oh man, last of wild game for red meat. Oh man! All right, here it is. I was going to put those two things together. You asked what my favorite cooking method was, and I said that it was going to be a braise. And the reason is, is because of shanks. So I'm going to tell you my last meal that includes shanks. I want to be the one that I finally end uh, my wild game career on. And that is going to be a Tuscan style 
black pepper asobuco. Mm. So I'm taking that shank and I'm going to have it cut into rounds. Um, probably going to have it semi-frozen. Um, also helps if you pre-cut the meat. And then I I normally frown at the idea of power tools on uh on animal products, but at the same time, uh, <laughs> if you pre-scored the meat, a good hacksaw works wonders right through that bone. <laughs> but anyway, then be able to get that medallion. And then if I need to tie it up for presentation, whatever, mm. but at the same time, now I've got my medallions or my rounds there that has the marrow on the inside, the circle of bone, and then that wonderful meat on the outside. I'm going to brown those on all sides. Well, I'll hit them with salt and pepper, brown them till they get like a nice crispy uh, outside, pull those off to the sides. And then that same pot, I'm going to sweat down some onions, going to sweat down some garlic. I'm going to throw in uh, a little bit of tomato uh, paste and then salt and pepper go into that as well. And then it all gets reduced inside of a bunch of red wine. So then I've got now I've I've mixed all that onion and all the the garlic and the tomato paste inside of that uh, braising liquid. I'm actually going to then take I've already even add I've added black pepper in, but now I'm going to add more black pepper. I'm going to go whole peppercorns. Those go into mm. the uh, the liquid. A couple bay leaves, some rosemary still on the twigs, and then I nestle those pieces in or the the rounds now i nestle those into the liquid cover into the oven and that's going to be there for six to eight hours oh man (laughs) we're not done yet in the meantime in the meantime i am making a uh yukon gold mashed potato Uh, of course it's going to have uh um, cream cheese in it it's going to have butter in it it's going to have milk in it we're going nine yards I know I'm not allergic to that, but if we're going to do this, we're going to go. <laughs> we're going to do it right. <laughs> but I'll have that uh, that going so that when those uh, rounds are done, when the the asobuco is done, um, pull those out and I pull those those rounds off very carefully because I don't want them to fall apart. I want them nestled in a little package there. Um, put the the liquid back on the stove and now I'm just going to reduce that. That's going to take probably 20 minutes right there. Um, but in the meantime, I take a big mound of mashed potatoes, put that in the, in the middle of the bowl. I take two of those rounds, uh, put those on top. And then finally that liquid has reduced, um, want to coat the back of a spoon at that point. And I'm just going to ladle some of that on top. It is comfort food to the extreme. Mm. It is velvety. It is, I don't want to say burn hot, but it is spicy hot. Something that when you take a bite of it, you feel that black pepper spice come up through your, through your sinuses and it just opens everything up. And all you experience is the wine, the pepper, the venison, and then that creaminess from that mashed potato. It is the perfect dish to just end this whole thing on. That, that right there. Sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds that sounds a uh, a gift from sounds like a gift from heaven, man. That is <laughs> that is uh, something I couldn't even dream up. But the creativity there in the, every step of that is uh, you know something that that shows a tremendous amount of care going into maximizing 
what it is we get from these animals. And hopefully it would never be, you know, hopefully you hear back from your second opinion and uh, you didn't have alpha gal. Turns out it was just a wood tick, uh, oh. a really small one. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, it's sound. It's very sinister. It's very dark. But I'd rather <laughs> end up with Lyme disease at this point. Yeah, definitely. No doubt about it. Us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no doubt about it. But yeah, that is a, an amazing dish. That, and like I said, it highlights the creativity that that would be put forth there. So it's a lot of fun. And I hope if as you're listening into this, I hope that's what you're picking up on. You can have so much fun. Uh, uh, just exploring what you can do. And, and you know, of course, the idea here, we're a hunting podcast. We're talking wild game, but you can do this with uh, what you get from the grocery store too. You know, have have some fun. Um, and you know what? For all those hours of prep that went into a dish like that Asobuco that uh, uh, Nick was just having us all salivating over is uh, he wasn't on his phone the whole time either. <laughs> so if, <you're, laughs> if your uh, goal is to, you know, what mine always is, and I always uh, don't do it as well as I hope, but to be more present in the moment, you know, taking up a hobby, like, uh, like some, uh, good food prep, like you can hear all about on the hunt of podcast, uh, I think will help you achieve those goals of living each moment of the day in a more meaningful way. And, uh, as a hunter, as you're staring there, you know, I like the term you use the hunter's dilemma. One of those dilemmas is you're looking at that animal and you're feeling those emotions of remorse, but, th- but gratitude. And, uh, you're kind of second guessing yourself was, a, should I really have killed this thing? Well, the best way to answer that question is to make the most out of it. And, uh, you fully enjoy what, what it offers for you. And, um, uh, taking the time to be creative, to be careful, to explore, to uh, fully experience, I think uh, helps you arrive at that point. So thank you so much, Nick, for for coming on to share that with us. Make sure if you're uh, listening in, you do check out Nick. Um, Nick, what's the what's the best way for our listeners to find you? Um. My, my podcast is on Sportsman's Nation, so I'm there with a whole bunch of, of uh, relatable guys that are on there. We're all passionate about hmm. hunting and fishing, um, so you can catch me over at sportsmansnation.com. Um, I've got a couple articles and a few recipes posted there. Um, a lot of my uh, traffic comes through Instagram. Um, that's where I can show the food, and then <laughs> people get all all excited about that. So that's probably a good way. Go ahead and uh, send me messages, send me photos, share you know share what you've made with me. I love to see that, and I love to then post that out for. Uh, you know, through my feed, just because everybody gets excited about something new that they've made from the critter that they've pursued and uh, was able to to harvest. So anytime we can celebrate that is is always a good time. So yeah, through Instagram, that's at Huntivore. I'm on Facebook as well. Um, really trying to grow my Go Wild, and that right now is just at the handle at the handle Nick Otto. Hmm. Um, so catch me there. I'm um, trying to build that one up as well. And I got a couple of YouTube videos. I'm going to be shooting those out here or they're already out, but I'm going to be really pushing those as we get closer and closer uh, to season approaching. And it's really on the one is taking apart the hind leg. And I get a lot of questions on guys taking apart a hind leg. Um, I think it's 17 minutes long, but uh, watch a guy take apart a leg a few times, you know, rewind, take a few notes. And then when you're ready to do your own, it's like second nature at that point. Mm. So, yeah, I'm. I'm all over on the social medias, so 
So find me there. Yeah. Make sure you do that and make sure, of course, uh, you uh, subscribe to his podcast and, and leave him a good review. Uh, that helps get, get the word out on uh, everything good that's going on there with the Huntivore. Please also make sure you don't forget about our good buddy, Brandon, who uh, normally be co-hosting with us. Uh, this podcast kind of ended up being a last-minute thing for both Nick and me. And so uh, I didn't, I didn't uh, try to put that stress on Brandon. You know, we, we want to make sure that we keep our co-host happy. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we uh we gave him the night off but make sure you head over to thehuntfishlife.com be sure you uh, check out all their social media pages too there's word of a uh, podcast coming soon where we're going to get to hear from the other martin brothers so there's all kinds of years of hunting experience Ooh. there when when the the three martin brothers are online so we'll try and get that going soon with them but uh also head over to firstgenhunter.com it's good to hear there's another go wild user uh who's uh out here in the industry and, and sharing good stuff. You can find me at go wild, Instagram, Facebook, all those places as well. And, uh, leave a, leave a good review for uh, this podcast as well, please. And make sure uh, you subscribe if you haven't yet and, uh, keep interacting with us. As uh, Nick said, uh, we put this content out, you know, we, we're passionate about that. We enjoy that, but, but we do love hearing from you guys, you know, when you, uh, pass on a tip or an encouraging word or ask a question or, or whatever, we love it. We, we love, uh, uh, seeing what you guys are up to in your neck of the woods and, and pursuing the things that you love to do. So, and that you're good at and getting better at and so uh make sure uh, you interact with us there but thanks so much for tuning in thank you nick everyone take care and take someone hunting <laughs>